Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. You know, 2020 has been a difficult year to say the least. Uh, perhaps you've seen the, the memes or the gifts that uh, kind of show someone maybe having a pretty good start, but then things unraveling pretty quickly and saying, this is so 2020. Uh, it has been a really difficult year for many of us. Uh, as if a global health crisis weren't enough, it's an election year that in a particularly divided political landscape, uh, racial tensions uh, and, and how we respond to those tensions have been right to the, brought to, right to the forefront of our minds and our lives. Uh, combine that with any personal crises that we might face and the emotional weight of isolation and social distancing and all of that. Uh, it's been a really difficult year. Now, I should note here that in the midst of the difficulty, I believe strongly that God is at work in the midst of all of this to bring about the good, like we talked about in our Romans 8 series. And that also, I'm utterly convinced that the good things that we receive, even in the midst of difficulty, are from the hand of God as blessings for us. And so I encourage you in the midst of, of kind of the, the nuance and the difficulty to also recognize the goodness of God and the gifts of God. Uh, but for many, we must also face the reality and kind of uh, admit out loud that this has been one of the more difficult years in recent history or in recent memory. And so in the face of such hardship, uh, is it even possible to be joyful? How can we have joy while we face so many difficult things? Um, and if so, if it is indeed possible, then where is joy to be found? Those are some of the questions that I want to address in the second week of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to begin by talking about maybe some of the, the wrong places that we try to look for joy. Uh, and I think the first of those, the first place that we tend to look for joy, and maybe this isn't so healthy or so good, is we tend to look for joy in our achievements. Uh, and that's not to say that achievement is bad or that, that like seeking to be the best and do our best, those are good and honorable goals, but they kind of make for a lousy source of joy. Uh, oftentimes we'll seek for joy, maybe an economic status, being upwardly mobile, kind of always continuing to have uh, an ever increasing uh, lifestyle. Uh, or standard of living. Uh, sometimes we seek joy in the achievement of a particular job title, that uh, if we can get some letters after our name or before our name, then we'll be joyful, right? Or academic degrees. Uh, sometimes, this is the effect of social media, isn't it? Sometimes we find joy, worth, or meaning from the number of followers on Twitter or the number of likes on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, we can even, those are pretty like, uh, very tangible uh, things, metrics that we can measure. I got this many likes, I have uh, this job title, I have this net worth, those kinds of things. But isn't it true that we also look for joy in maybe less tangible achievements? Things like, I've got a great marriage, or I have well-behaved kids, or aren't I really wise <laughs> after all these years? Or, listen, maybe, maybe sometimes we can find joy or look for joy even in, I'm the guy on the block that has the most tools or the nicest car, right? Isn't it true that we can base our joy off of any level of achievement? We can kind of look to these things to provide us with the joy that we so long for. 
You, you know that you'll be basing joy off of your level of achievement if you find yourself saying, I'll be happy when, and then you fill in the blank. And, and if you find yourself saying, I'll be happy when, then oftentimes that's a pretty good clue that we're actually looking to that thing or that achievement or that goal to actually breathe the source of our joy. And again, I want to reiterate, it is so good and honorable to reach out and be goal-oriented and seek achievement in life and to do our best. Those are good and honorable things, but they make for a terrible source of joy. You see, the problem with achievement-based joy is this. Your joy is then dependent upon your upward mobility. So that then your joy is stolen if you come across a time when you get skipped over for that promotion. Or you lose your joy in a season where maybe marriage is pretty difficult. Or your popularity wanes. Or you come across someone who, by comparison, has achieved more than you. Or maybe you could, your joy can be stolen just by the simple fact that you feel like your upward mobility has been stalled. Right? So sometimes we seek for joy in achievement, and that's a pretty bad source of our joy. The other, time, the other thing that we sometimes seek joy or try to find joy in is the simple avoidance of pain. So sometimes it's achievement, other times it's just trying to avoid pain. If I can just kind of insulate my life uh, and orient my life in such a way that I won't come into contact with any pain or difficulty or struggle, then perhaps maybe then I will find the joy that I'm looking for. Sometimes we can choose to live with ignorance or naivete and about what is wrong with the world or what's going on with the world. We just kind of want to insulate ourselves and ignore everything. Because if we really plugged in, if we really paid attention, there would be too much going on and then it would steal my joy. Sometimes instead of ignorance, we choose cynicism. <laughs> and cynicism is a classic way to stay distanced from the world and from others in an effort to avoid pain. Cynicism is assuming that there's always ulterior motives. Everyone is only just out for themselves, and this whole thing is just going to crash anyway, right? And if, you, if you've ever met a cynic or been cynical, it's pretty obvious when you come across it. Again, the trouble with trying to find joy in the avoidance of pain is that there's, we simply can't do this that none of us can do this all of the time, that pain is always a part of our lives to some degree or another. Maybe we may go through seasons where we don't experience pain, but all of us in our lives experience pain at some point and to some degree. So this idea that I can find joy just by simply avoiding or insulating or unplugging from the world usually won't work, at least not for very long. And so sometimes we seek to find joy in achievement, sometimes in avoidance. And I suppose my question this morning would be, how's that working? <laughs> how's that going? Is it, is it going okay? Probably not. I think the scriptures can offer us some real wisdom here. And I want to first turn to Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Uh, which, by the way, as you're turning there, let me... Um, let me share with you what I think is some great resources for joy. And I just want to mention two of them. Uh, the first is, in fact, the book of Philippians. 
Uh, This is the biblical book that orients our hearts toward joy and what joy means more than any other biblical book. Uh, And so I encourage you, if you've not ever sat down and just read Philippians as a whole in its entirety in one sitting, I encourage you to do that this week. And I think it will connect you to some wisdom uh, related to joy and hopefully some of the wisdom that we're talking about. The other resource I would want to mention to you is is, uh, a book that I read earlier this year, uh, pre-COVID, which was really, really helpful, hopefully to kind of orient and maybe prepare my own heart for what I didn't know what was coming uh, but it's called The Book of Joy, and it's, uh, it's written by the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu, Desmond Tutu, and it is a phenomenal book, a really a powerful read, and uh, just about their friendship, their relationship, and some of the wisdom that they each share. Uh, it's, a, it's a great read, and I encourage, I encourage, it, uh, encourage you to read it uh, if you can. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 4, reading through verse 14, says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Uh, He says, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal or passion or conviction, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I've had, These I have come to regard as a loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Now I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may also attain resurrection from the dead. But it's not that I've already obtained all of this or have reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. While we often are tempted to look for joy in our achievements, this passage of scripture invites us into a new perspective. You see, what the Apostle Paul does is he says, you know, I have, I've achieved a lot and I've got a lot that could be uh, credited to me and to my name. I've achieved a lot and I've had all kinds of reasons to have confidence based on achievement and, and joy based on achievement. And he lists those in this passage. However, he says, of all of those things, all those accomplishments, nothing compares to the value of knowing Christ. You could stack up all of my accomplishments on on one side, that if if life were kind of this this balance book and you were to say everything that is to my credit, Paul says I'm gonna move those over to the other side of the margin and count them as losses compared to the greatest value, which is that of knowing Christ. And so Paul holds up all these achievements and then he holds up, 
He holds up kind of all of these things, but then he holds up this one thing, and he says this one thing makes all these other things seem insignificant, which is to say that lasting joy will change our perspective from one of achievement to one of receivement. Now, I'm making up words here, but I think pastors have that license, right? So so, so the the Apostle Paul says, actually, uh, joy is not based on achievements, but rather is based on receivement. It's not so much what we have received or what we have achieved, but it's what we have received in Christ that is the source of our joy. And so joy is is found in what we've received, not on what we have achieved, and which is, and let me say this, I think gratitude is the posture of our heart that recognizes all that we have received. That if, if we can go through life, even with its difficulty, even in the midst of tensions, even in the midst of division, even in the midst of 2020, if we can go through life having this attitude of recognizing all that I have received in Christ and all the good gifts that have come to me through Christ and by the generous hand of God, then that will be a source of joy. Not looking to all the things that have been credited to me because of my own effort, but all the things that have been given to me and what I have received in Jesus. And the attitude of our heart the posture of our heart that recognizes that is one of gratitude. Um, the book I mentioned earlier, the book of joy, the way it's organized is it outlines seven pillars of joy, of, what, of which gratitude is one of them. And here's an excerpt from the book. Gratitude is the recognition of all that holds up the web of life and that has made it possible to have life the life that we have, and the moment that we are experiencing. Gratitude is the recognition of all that holds up this web of life and that has made it possible to have the life that we have and the moment that we are experiencing, this very moment. Now, it goes on to say that gratitude allows us to shift our perspective toward all that we have been given and all that we have. And it moves us away from a narrow-minded focus on fault and lack and to the wider perspective of benefit and abundance. Did you catch that? Gratitude moves us away from a narrow-minded focus on fault and lack and one to a wider perspective of benefit and abundance. You see, when we have a perspective of the world that everyone else is at fault and there's an utter lack of things, then we're always going to seek to be grabbing to that to make it ours, right? If there's this sort of sense of lack, then we're always going to be grasping at things. But if we have this attitude and perspective of abundance in Christ and the abundance of God, then I'm going to just joyfully receive that which God has given to me. And I just think that as Christians of all people should be the ones who embody joy. One of the most countercultural things that the church can do right now in the midst of division, in the midst of, of heartache and disappointment is be the people who embody joy. The fruit of the Spirit. 
right? Remember, these things are, are not things that we sort of gain through our own sort of effort, but rather these are things that we cultivate in our lives and then things that blossom in us through the work of the Spirit. And so through the work of the Holy Spirit, God, would you give us a tremendous sense of what we have received in Christ that we may have a witness of joy in the world, even in these days. You see, joy originates in the heart and the personality of God. Isn't it true that we see Jesus as sort of this stoic, serious, super spiritual person? Isn't it true that when we think of spiritual leaders in the world, like the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, that we would assume that these two men are very stoic, very serious, uh, very sort of their posture to the world is one of a straight face. But this is not the story that anyone that has interacted with these two men tell. That these two men, even though they've seen each other only a handful of times in their lives, have this friendship with one another, they each bearing all sorts of of weight and difficulty in their life. And yet when they get together, this is true, they banter back and forth and even tickle one another and laugh with joy. (laughs) And so again, if we say joy is sort of the avoidance of pain, we might say then, then someone who bears so much spiritual leadership in the world could never have joy. There's just too heavy of a weight to bear. And yet there is this lightness to their interactions with one another. And so we must see and we must uh, recognize that, that Jesus and the God that he reveals is not this sort of stoic, serious, waiting to catch you in your sin person, but rather this God of love, this God of joy who delights in you and who who recognizes your sin and then delights in bringing you to wholeness. This is the God that is revealed in Jesus. And so the joy originates in the heart and the personality of God who has poured out his goodness on the world. And that is not to say that life can be impossibly hard because sometimes it is and it can be. But we also can look at the beauty of life and see all that we have received. And so this morning, I want you to see and I want you to recognize that God is the source of joy. And happiness, happiness can come from vacation time, a new toy, or ice cream. (laughs) But joy, joy originates in the heart of God. I love our artwork from Christos Collective this week. Remember, uh, during this series, we're, we're partnering with Christos Collective that Several years ago, this collection of artists had nine different artists work collaboratively on nine pieces of art based on the fruit of the Spirit. And so the the artwork that you see around the walls or the artwork beside me here is the product of nine artists working on this single piece of work to communicate joy visually. I love, this one is by far my favorite in the set. Uh, Because you have this, this scene of of a sunset and water, someone jumping into the water. What is a, what is a tremendous like, visual picture of joy than like, just running and jumping into water, right? This is like, so, some of you are like, that sounds cold, but, uh, but it's geez, so much joy, right? So much joy. I remember this summer, we spent a lot of time stand-up paddleboarding at, at Horsetooth, and 
Uh, the water at Horsetooth can be cold early in the, in the season. And, and I remember, though, just feeling like if I spent all day just on top of the paddleboard and not, getting, not jumping in the water, I was missing out on so much joy and so much revitalization <laughs> of having your body just real cold and then you get out and you just feel so uh, revitalized. Um, so what a great picture of joy jumping into the water. But behind this scene, and I don't know if you can see this clearly or not, but behind the scene is handwritten words that are telling us a life story. And it's, it's really impossible, with everything else going on, it's impossible to get the full uh, meaning and details of the story, but what is clear is the gist. The gist of this story told behind this scene is one of personal struggle and heartache. And what an incredible picture that in the midst of this heartache and this loss, there is this sense of joy available to us. But then if you look really closely, there's actually words in the narrative, letters and words that are bolded. And the bolded words say, God said, I am joy. Joy originates in the heart of God. And in the midst of it all, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the tension, in the midst of the division, we can hold on to the reality that first God is love, but part of that God loving God is that God is the source of joy. And joy does not come from ignoring all the difficulty of the world, but joy actually comes from like going through the darkness to the other side where there's this lightness. And there's nothing better that illustrates that than this ancient biblical book called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written by a Hebrew uh, poet, and it's wisdom poetry, and it offers us some really compelling ideas. And I want to just kind of do a, a flyover of Ecclesiastes, and I think bring one important point out of it that I want to end with this morning. This book, Ecclesiastes, begins in chapter 1, verse 2. It begins with this. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is completely meaningless. <laughs> that is just makes some, for some great like nighttime devotional reading, right? Like everything is meaningless. This is all in chapter one, by the way. A few verses later, he says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter what we see, we are never satisfied. And no matter what we hear, we are never content. History merely repeats itself. This is ancient, ancient poetry. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing is under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, look, here is something new, but actually it's old. <laughs> And there will never be anything new. This is crazy, right? This is in your Bibles, right? Later on, still chapter one, he says, the, the author says, I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. Like he thought maybe 
Maybe just, maybe knowledge is the key to unlocking this whole thing. He says, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is just like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. And to increase knowledge is only to increase sorrow. It's as though this poet is saying, if you want to know how this thing really works, if you want to pull the curtain back and see like, how this actually goes, then that knowledge is going to bring you sorrow. And you may wish that you had never known, right? Now, here's what's interesting. There's this repeating word in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the word that he begins with. Everything is meaningless. And as you read Ecclesiastes, you recognize that the poet is actually captured by this word meaningless. The author begins with that declaration and he keeps coming back to it over and over and over again, repeating it. This is meaningless. That is meaningless. This thing that you thought was valuable, it's meaningless. You know, this thing that you thought was new, it's actually old. <laughs> the Hebrew word that we know as meaningless, the Hebrew word is the, the word havel. And the Hebrew word havel actually means or literally means mist or vapor. Essentially, the author of Ecclesiastes in this ancient wisdom literature is saying the life that you're living, that you're trying so hard for, that you're striving so hard to have upward mobility, this life is a mist. It is vapor. It is here and then it is gone. Just like that. And you might think, man, if that's the whole book, uh, I think I'll avoid that in my, in my reading of the scriptures. Because <laughs> that's not very encouraging, right? But then you, the, the wisdom literature actually takes this unexpected turn. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 9, starting with verse 7, the author says this, Eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of, of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. <laughs> Isn't this funny? This is hilarious. Live happily with the woman that you love through all of your meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. It's like, wear things that are nice and eat with joy. Drink things that you enjoy and, and live with a woman that you love. Find somebody to love in all the meaningless days of your life. And actually, this wisdom literature goes on and it bounces back and forth. Because it's like everything is meaningless. But then, he'll say, but then the author will say, soak all of it in. He'll say Every, everything is old. It's not new even though you think it's new. It's all meaningless. And then he'll say, if you find something of value that brings you joy, that you find meaning in, then put your energy toward that. This back and forth, this back and forth. Here's the wisdom that I think the Ecclesiastes is trying to offer us. Joy does not come from achievement or avoidance or ignorance or naivete. Joy actually comes from fully embracing the fragility of it all. 
Because when we embrace the fragility of this thing called life, we can actually learn to appreciate it. Right? Because if you have everything and you've just, your life has just been like a high five from Jesus. <laughs> if you have all of this stuff, then you probably will only want more and feel like you don't have enough. If you've achieved a lot, then there will always be someone who has achieved more. And so it's this kind of balance, this holy balance of saying, I receive blessings from God with joy, but I also recognize the fragility of this all. I accept that this whole thing called life could churn on a dime. Like you could be in February 2020 and not know what's coming. And the whole thing could churn sideways in a matter of days. And if you, but the, but the more that you kind of recognize and enter into the fragility of it all, the more you can actually learn to appreciate it, enjoy it while we've got it, right? And this sounds like kind of upside down wisdom, but it's actually the wisdom of the scriptures. Everything is meaningless and yet find joy in it. Now to illustrate this and bring it home a little bit. I just want to kind of tell you a little bit about what I've observed, okay? I don't want to speak um, anything that, like, this is absolutely true or this is always the case, but rather just, like, here's what I've observed. And I wonder if it's also generally true. As I have observed both family members and members of the congregation that receive terminal diagnosis in their lives. I've seen that that comes with an incredible sorrow and darkness. And there's like this intense sense of loss that I was looking forward to all of these things in my own life and in the lives of the people I loved. And you kind of, you see that the, the patient with this diagnosis bears the weight of all of that loss. It is a time of tremendous darkness and sadness. And I have seen some with those diagnoses remain in the sorrow and remain in the darkness. But I've also seen some that have been able to find joy in the midst of the impossible. And here's what I've observed. Their joy does not come from ignoring their circumstance. But rather their joy is made possible by fully embracing the darkness of their situation so that they could find light on the other side. It comes from actually realizing through the diagnosis the fragility of it all and it awakens this thing in them that says I'm going to appreciate every single good gift that comes my way. And they find joy in the midst of the impossible. Here's my hope for my own life and for yours as well. That I could connect to that sense of joy with or without the diagnosis, right? That I, could, that I could be fully present 
when I'm spending time with my family. I mean, isn't it true that we, we kind of get sucked in? We're, we're trying to teach our kids to not get totally sucked into the world in their device. And as a parent, I'm trying to like build that in my kids to say, you are going to have devices your entire life. <laughs> I did not, right? Like I kind of got this thing in adulthood. And so guess what? Young kids of mine, I'm also working on not being sucked in and trying to be present right here and right now because there is a beauty to this moment where I'm with my kids or I'm with my wife. There is a beauty to that that is to be enjoyed and can bring incredible joy. And so there's lots of distractions. There's lots of noise. But I pray that in the midst of it all, we would be connected to the gifts of life. Because just as the Apostle Paul teaches us, joy is not found in achievement. Joy is found in receivement, <laughs> that which we have received. So my prayer for us is that we would bear witness to the joy of the Spirit. Even in the midst of pandemic, even in the midst of division, even in the midst of tension, that the people of God would have the incredible witness of joy. For joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your work in our lives, for the joy that you give. God, help us maybe to put away any like conceptions or thoughts about you that would... Uh, that would kind of work against the recognition and the truth that you are the source of joy. You are a joyful God who delights in us and who delights in the process of bringing us to wholeness. God, may we delight in this work as well through, as we go through the ups and downs of life, as we fight for what is good and right and true in the world. May we also be people of joy especially in these days uh, where there seems to be so much anger and, and haste. God, help us to be people of joy. And certainly there's time and a place to speak truth to power, stand up for what is good and right according to the scriptures. We want to do that with passion. We want to give voice for the oppressed. We want to stand up for the marginalized as you've called us to do. But God, may we not lose our joy. Help us to be a joyful people, God. Help us to have an attitude that is grateful for all that we have received from your hand. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.